Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, today we talk to two Shans and a Tim about the scourge known as pig butchering, what it is, where it's going, and why you should care about it. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to this special episode of Breaking Badness, recorded on Thursday, October 5th, 2023. I'm your host for today, Callie Fensel, and with me is Domain Tools Security Evangelist Tim Helming, VP of Research and Data, Sean McNee, and from Sophos, Principal Threat Researcher, Sean Gallagher. Welcome, everybody. Hey there. Hey. It's it great. Is- is the great convergence of Sean's. An abundance of Sean's. Are, are you all familiar with that uh, story from Dr. Seuss, Too Many Daves? No. Yes. I, wish, I want to. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> We're in that situation, but with Sean's. You know, when I was in college, there were massive numbers of Daves and also massive numbers of Jennifers. And I always wanted to throw a party where everybody invited was either Dave or Jennifer and just stand back and watch the magic happen. I never did it though. Yeah. Isn't there something, some book called an overabundance of Jennifer's overabundance of Catherine's or Catherine's. Okay. That's right. That's what it is. (laughs) Catherine's. That's right. That's right. I should know that my wife's a librarian. I should know that. Ooh, that's cool. Um, so yeah, thanks. Thanks everybody for being here today. We're, uh, we're taking this into a more serious topic of uh, of pig butchering, but actually, maybe before we get get going into that, um, so if you're a regular Breaking Badness listener, you you've heard Tim and Sean McNee before. Um, they're you know Tim's a regular co-host. Sean's a fantastic guest we have uh, from time to time. But Sean Gallagher, can can you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So. Uh- I am Sean Gallagher, and uh, I am principal threat researcher at Sophos in our XOPS group. Uh, I've been at Sophos for going on four years now. Uh, previously, I was uh, for a stretch the uh, information and national security editor at Ars Technica, and basically the labs guy there, kicking around all the things and seeing what broke. And do I focused quite a bit on infosec there and on and on cybercrime, uh, working with Dan Gooden over at ours when I was there. Um, oh, nice. And uh, so I have, a, I have a, a checkered past. I'm a former naval officer. The Navy found out I knew what a computer was and made me do networks. And then I got out of the service and I started writing and started working in tech at the same time and, about, and bounced back and forth for a while. Uh, was at uh, a number of trades uh, over, the, over the past well, geez, three decades, I guess it is now, um, was at uh, Information Week as managing editor of labs, uh, ran a developer magazine called Enterprise Developer and Java Pro uh, magazines for a company called FTP out in Palo Alto. Uh, but I've been telecommuting from Baltimore since 1995. So... Wow, that's way before uh, it was stuff. fashionable. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so so this this COVID thing ain't got nothing on me, man. I've, I've been <laughs> doing this for a while. So I, I have, and uh, my last 10 years, so I was at ours for 10 years, and that whole time we were entirely remote. Um, so I'm used to, used to uh, running my own IT uh, and also dealing with 
all the bad things that come with it. And I'm very familiar with domain tools because I did a lot of work using domain tools uh, when I was doing some of our more uh, infosec-oriented articles going down the rabbit hole on various scams and things. So um, <laughs> happy to be talking to you. We, we love cool, to hear cool. that. <laughs> I actually did a stint uh, telecommuting the other way. Um, I live in Seattle, but I worked for a Baltimore company for a little while. So very familiar. It's like when Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy and Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln. No way. Way. <laughs> so far, I'm really enjoying Sean Gallagher being a guest. He's laughing at all of my jokes. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, you know, shooting 10 for 10 here over here. So yes, we're off to yes. a rip-roaring start. Yes, for and sure. we haven't even talked about InfoSec yet. I know, we should but, do that. Though. But it usually takes us a few minutes to get to that. You know, Sean, we talk about movies and records and, then we know, usually and cooking and God knows what before we get to the InfoSec stuff. Usually, yeah, it helps it, yeah. Helps, helps it go down easier. That's right. Yeah, and we always are pontificate, like, we should do, we should have a movie podcast. <laughs> And it doesn't take off um, from there. It's it's always just a, a nice thought. But um, yeah, well, we are here. Uh, we are gathered here today um, to talk about um, pig butchering because um, it's a topic that, uh, you know, Domain Tools um, focused on at, at the beginning of the year um, with, you know, our research team. Um, and then um, Sean Gallagher, your article um, that came out a week, it's about a week ago, I think at this point. About a week ago, yeah. Ti time is, you know, it is what it is now in, in the COVID times. Um, but yeah, that caught our eye. Um, so I, I had messaged you on Mastodon. I'm just like, we should we should get to talking on the podcast about this. So so yeah, thanks for being here to, to talk more about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy so, to be here for it. So maybe... Yeah, for for guests listening that that don't know already, uh, let's let's talk about what what pig butchering is. Um, if uh, I, and any of you can jump sure, in, sure. Yeah. Well, I can I can I can kick things off and we can see where they go. Yeah. So, um, pig butchering, the term comes from the translation of the Chinese term used for this, which is shazupan, which literally translates as pig butchering plate. Um, and it evolved out of a type of cybercrime that began in mainland China, in China itself. And as the Chinese became increasingly, uh, vigorous about prosecuting it, uh, and COVID started to lock things down, moved outside of China, still largely under the control of organized crime from China, uh, and into bordering countries, uh, especially in Southeast Asia, Myanmar uh, and uh, Cambodia, uh, not, not so much in Vietnam, but some in Vietnam, uh, Thailand as well. And what this type of crime originally focused on was, first of all, establishing a friendly connection over some form of chat, either a dating app or over uh, WeChat or something like that, and just and had and, and establishing a relationship with some level of confidence, introducing the idea of making money together because 
some inside information was available from another source that would allow the person who was the new friend to share that information with the target and then enrolling the target in some sort of a website or an app to put money into it, either originally by wiring money, but eventually through crypto, uh, through cryptocurrency, uh, to engage them in investment and then showing them fake profits to fatten the pig, as they say, keep adding more money to the amount that the victim had put into the system, even though that money in many cases was already long gone uh, once it had been deposited. Uh, so they have a fake app or fake website showing profits and pumping the individual to put more money into it. And then finally, uh, when the target no longer has any more available funds to put into it, uh, dropping a note saying, hey, you can't get your money out unless you pay taxes or pay this penalty or you have to invest more uh, to reach a goal before we can release your funds. And this has, been, in its various forms, has led to people borrowing large amounts of money from friends. Uh, recently, uh, there's there's a bit of a been a been a bit of business news tied to this. Uh, Bloomberg picked up on this. There's a bank in Kansas that just failed because the CEO of the bank was involved in a Shazupan scam and no. had borrowed money from the bank to try and get his money back out of a fake crypto investment. Oh. And the FDIC has taken over the bank. It's in receivership as a result of a Shazupan scam. Is that the first occasion of something like that that you're aware of? That I'm aware of. I think it's the first pretty you know, so it's, it, it's the first regulated <laughs> the first regulated business I've heard of that, you know, has been knocked offline because the owner uh, put over the, the 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 chief operating officer, chief executive officer, put all put money from their actual business into one of these scams. Uh, have had a number of people lose very large amounts of money. Uh, I think this is the largest I've heard about in terms of the amount of money involved. It was over twelve million dollars. Um, so it's uh, and and based on what the FDIC had to pay out in insurance to cover deposits, it was certainly more than that in terms of the amount of risk that got taken on just to try and get this guy, this guy took on just to try and get out of the scam, which essentially was just giving more money to the same people. Um, and there are different patterns that are applied to these scams. Some of them are you're sending cryptocurrency to a deposit into a scheme. Uh, the one that I covered in my most recent report was a liquidity mining scam where you join a an, a pool that is supposed to act sort of like money market accounts do in the world of stock investment. Uh, they're supposed to make, you're basically lending money to the brokerage to help them make transactions happen. And you get paid interest based on that um, with, well, with liquidity mines, with liquidity mining pools you are paid a part of any trade fee uh, in cases where they're actually, where they are actually doing liquidity mining. And, uh, but in order to do that, you have to uh, join your, your wallet 
your crypto wallet to the pool through a smart contract and through a, through a DeFi application, a decentralized finance application. And that, is, and that gives both legitimate pools and the illegitimate pools uh, full control over what they can, what they, taking things out of your wallet and sending them elsewhere. Yeah. So, so, so Sean, um, this is, so as part of this, did you see that uh, the targets, were they already people that had experience with crypto or was their first experience with crypto, not just being, Hey, invest in crypto, but Hey, invest in crypto and let's do this thing. Liquidity mining. Like, was it like, how did they get yeah, pulled into that? It's, so it's, it's amazing. I mean, 80% of the people we've talked to who've been victims in these had never dealt with cryptocurrency before. And early on, it was sort of presented as in, look how well the crypto market is doing. Everybody's making lots of money in crypto. Uh, you can make that kind of money too. And I have inside information to help take the volatility out of it. We've been studying this. Um, Don't be the last one on your block. That's right, exactly. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, but increasingly, it's sort of like this new liquidity mining scheme thing. <clears throat> it's presented as not being investing in crypto. It's, inve it's presented as being as safe as a bank. Putting your money into your wallet, it will. They tell you it will never leave your wallet, but you will have rewards for it being connected to our application. And a lot of the victims, especially the one we named Frank in our in our recent story. Uh, had no inclination to do anything with crypto, but were convinced by being worn down through continuous engagement by the scammers to set up an account and say, oh, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And, you know, they start with a small amount of crypto, put it in, you know, small, relatively speaking, you know, they try to get you to put $1,000 worth of crypto in. And then you start seeing rewards come in for that. And in the case of this, this liquidity mining scheme, uh, there was actually money being, there was actually crypto being dropped into the victim's wallet. So he could see the actual amount of cryptocurrency, the value in his wallet increase, uh, didn't fit, need a fake website. They were just sending crypto to his wallet address in small amounts to make it look like he was making a profit. So if he and, so he logged in, he would see, oh, the money's still in my wallet, and look, new stuff's appearing. So exactly, exactly. So um, the uh, the thing is, is that when he got to a certain point where it was clear he was not going to be able to put any more money in, uh, because in this case he was stopped by his bank from wiring a large amount of money to uh, Coinbase to then deposit into a trust wallet. And Coinbase had shut down his access to his wallet because they were concerned it was being used for money laundering. Wow. Um, so so the bank and Coinbase are both like, hey, hey, Frank, there's there's some red flags here. Like, what's going on? Yes, yes. And then also, and then he went and tried to set up another another wallet. <laughs> so so he went, they, they, the, the, he was so far into it that he then started to buy crypto with crypto.com and was going to put it into his wallet. And then he thought, Second, he had second thoughts about it, and he did some uh, some web searches. And the first thing that came up apparently was my report I did on liquid liquidity mining from last May, 
And he jumped onto uh, binverified.com and he found my Facebook account and he found my LinkedIn account and he was direct messaging me and he found my phone number and he called me directly. Is that spooky um, that he found your phone number? Yeah, it is. It is spooky <laughs> that he found my phone number. I always love to get a, a, a call from an unknown number, uh, from from a number that, you know, from a name I don't recognize because I, I usually don't answer those. Um, but he kept calling over and over again and I finally answered. Oh, that's some, that's and, some pretty good OSINT uh, yeah. skills he's got there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was concerned he was a scammer uh, until I got more details. And he actually sent me a full dump of his WhatsApp conversations with the scammers. Um, and I got the wallet information. I got his wallet address and was able to follow the money, so to speak. Uh, I got the domain that they were using for the app. Um, from there, uh, I went and found more details of other domains that were running the same exact web interface. In one case, it had the same contract node associated with it. So basically to track all this stuff down, what I did was I went to the site. I went to the site. I looked at first looked at his wallet to see what wallet addresses he had had contact with and which had made transactions on his behalf. And then I went to other sites I found and using an empty wallet, I got the address requests for the smart contracts that came from them and found one other site that was using the same address. And then there was a cluster of, uh, of 12 sites in total, uh, which I'm, we're doing an update on shortly. I'm doing an update on and we're writing it. Uh, found a total of 12 domains that were attached to this specific code. Um, and there were over, over 50 victims uh, across these sites, it looks like. And you know, I've got to, got to hash through the victims a bit more to make sure I, I winnow out the test wallets from the victims. But um, these crypto nodes, these nodes that gave, that the victims gave control of their wallets to, uh, managed to pull in over uh, over a million dollars, one point zero eight million dollars in like a three month period. That's from victims. That's real money. Who? Oh. And that's three months. And then we look further down the rabbit hole, and I was seeing the wallets that were receiving the money, receiving the crypto from these nodes, were getting deposits from other nodes that I had not seen before, and they were also connecting to other wallets. And so there's this network of these smart contract driven control nodes that are sucking money out of victims' wallets and depositing them in various wallets around the internet. Uh, in the case of Frank's money, uh, we were able to track it all the way through till it went to, so the account that it went to was routed to by the, uh, the control node was in fact, a wallet belonging to a Binance user that had most likely been compromised. Uh, it was associated with an individual in Turkey. And then the money was cashed out through a bank in Hong Kong. Wow. So going around the world. And yeah. And so if I, if I understand what you just said correctly, 
Right. You you uncovered the small set, the the 12 domains, but then as you've been tracking all of this through the contracts and through these nodes, like your little cluster of 12 domains is only part of a much larger scheme. That's right. And then, you know, with a little bit more pivoting, um, I looked at some of the, the uh, web references that were being made by the websites and found some common code that was being referenced by other sites. And from there, dug and found even more sites. And um, there's some infrastructure that led me to about, uh, last count, over 200 domains. Ooh, that's uh, that's quite the infrastructure they've got going. So, so just... the, yeah, and the thing is, is that these are short lived. I mean, they mm-hmm. they set these up and they live. They have a life cycle of how, as long as the scam lasts with an individual set or a set of individuals, and then they just rinse and recycle. All right, so they'll set up domains usually through Alibaba or through an Alibaba associated registrar. Uh, we had a bunch registered in this case through Amazon directly because they were done through a reseller. Um, so somebody was buying Amazon web front services uh, as a reseller for these people and, and registering domains for them through Amazon. And then, you know, there were some other, there were some other registrars involved, but um, the, the lion's share of them were either on Alibaba infrastructure or Amazon infrastructure. And then, uh, they would front end them with Cloudflare if they were running them for any longer than that. Yeah, so if you've got you know a couple hundred of these domains kind of swirling around, some floating in, some floating out, and for the subset you were tracking, you saw a million dollars. Can can I infer like tens of millions of dollars possibly through this? Am I being crazy with throwing out? I don't think that you're thing? crazy at all. I don't think you're crazy at all. I mean. Uh, if you look at the FBI data from 2022, um, there was something on the order of $3 billion in crypto-related fraud last year. And, and this is a big chunk of that. Yeah, wow. And, and the sneakiest part about this is because it's, it's using the smart contracts, right? When you're in the middle of it, you still think you have your wallet. You still think you have all your crypto. You're seeing more come in and you don't know that somebody else secretly can just yank it from you at any time. So like, like you're hooked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and the thing about it is that you're using commercial applications from trusted mobile applications from an app store, from a vendor that usually has good reviews and they're a known name, you know, Trust Wallet is owned by Binance, but it's, it's, it's still, it's well known in the crypto space. And it's not like these other versions of these scams we've seen before where they're using a fake app that you have to go through a side load onto a mobile device, or they're using a web clip that you're loading on your mobile device, or uh, as we were increasingly seeing over the summer and, and last spring, they have learned how to bypass app store review uh, and are placing sort of these no-name apps in the Google and Apple app stores and changing a, a URL destination uh, after the app gets through screening to turn it into a fake crypto app. 
Um, those all require, you know, having somebody to write an app for you. These only require you being able to uh, set up a DeFi website, which most of the code is being provided to you in a kit by the people who are running these things in the back end usually. Yeah, you just have to make small changes to, I assume, the templates for the smart contracts. And then right. everything else is just literally the scam. Yeah, and the, yeah, the only just, way to spot these is just like when you, if, if you are, if you know, first of all, hey, somebody on WhatsApp asked me to invest in crypto. That should be your first alarm bell, right? Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, from a technical perspective, the only way to block these is for us to continually hunt the URLs associated with the nodes and put them into a reputation list because there's no malware to stop. And that, and that only helps people in the in those environments where you can exercise those kinds of security controls. It doesn't help all the folks at home and on their you know personal accounts and whatnot. Exactly. I mean, so you know, Apple can you know we share we share our reputation data with a lot of vendors, and so the platform vendors can add blacklists. Uh, the wallet developers like. Uh, <clears throat> like Trust Wallet and folks like that, they they and and Coinbase and all these other companies, they have their own blacklists. They have their own threat hunting teams that generate blacklists. They add to their software to prevent engagement with these fake sites. But you know, it's I get blocked, I start another one, and so it's uh, the perpetual uh, cat and mouse. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely okay. yes. whack-a-mole. Yeah. Whack-a-mole was what analogy. I was looking for. Whack-a-mole was what I was looking for in my brain. So, you know, the you're constantly adding new sites to a blacklist. Um, you can't really block the infrastructure they're running on because they're using Amazon. They're using AWS right. or they're using Alibaba Cloud. Um, and if you, start, if you start targeting specific hosts, you start taking out whole vast swaths of legitimate applications and sites so it's it's really really difficult from a defender perspective uh as a as a software provider you know as, as one of the wallet providers or as a platform vendor it's really hard to keep people from getting to these things well do you think um sean gallagher like as as i'm listening to this you can't stop everything all the time but you know do these sites like i think the site in the in your story was the the dating site. Was it Meet Me? Yes, it's yeah. Meet Me. So so there's that, and then so in the domain tools research, we're looking at in the financial sector. Like, do these websites just need to you know maybe have something saying, uh, you know, if if somebody's trying to pull you over into WhatsApp, you know, that's likely scamming. Like, I don't know if that's that's helpful if if we can't block everything all the time. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, so. The, the, the thing is, the public education is the best defense against this. Um, some of the vendors are much more aggressive about like letting their customer bases know about these things. But so, for example, Meet Me, uh, I contacted them and they said, oh, they, you should have the customer talk to us and we'll find out what's going on and we'll ban the user. That's not very useful. No. Um, the There are lots of financial companies that are now setting up 
things on their home pages. We saw this happen with some banks in Asia uh, where they set up warnings on their website saying that people are masquerading as us. Um, there was a case that I dealt with uh, early in the year um, that last or last year uh, where we found a pig butchering scam that was using the name of a Japanese banking company as the name for their fake gold trading platform. Ooh. And they were using actual trading software. It just happened to be from a Russian company. So it was banned in the U S. Um, so you had to sideload it, but it was actual software. They had just rewritten the setup code for it to point to their own trading server they had set up on Alibaba. Yeah, and in, in the research, you know, we did at Domain Tools earlier this year, we saw the bad actors scraping FINRA for information about financial advisors and spinning up fake websites pretending to be these advisors. And then they would advertise on TikTok and other places saying, hey, come check out my website. You read the website, you'd look up the person's name, you'd see their real, you know, financial advisor credentials and yep. start talking to them. And then they're like, hey, you could do a, a normal investment, but you want to make some money better. Let's let's talk crypto. And now same rabbit hole. And that didn't yeah. even involve any, you know, deep fake stuff or whatnot, which is, of course, what we I would assume is going to be next. In these. Oh, it's already happening. It's already happening. So one of the aspects of that uh, story uh, about Frank that we posted, um, after he disengaged from the scammer, they used ChatGPT to generate a note asking him to reconnect and saying how much they missed him. Um, and it was clearly AI generated. There were also images of the person that was supposed to be uh, the romantic interest that were, with a little bit of analysis, uh, me, by myself and by some folks on our AI team, we said, yeah, these have all marks of being uh, generative AI images. Um, so we're already seeing that. And then you hear about a lot of phone scams now where the people claim there's voice deep fakes going on. Uh, there have been some very targeted voice deep fakes uh, where people have used the voice of someone with fiscal authority to try and make over the phone bank requests. Yeah, that's um, the new frontier of BEC. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the problem there is that these large language models are continuously going to get better at being difficult to detect. You know, you said a few minutes ago, you said, you know, this had all the hallmarks of being AI generated, but obviously the victim didn't know that. And right, the general right. public at large doesn't have much education on spotting the output of a large language model versus a human. And it's only going to get harder. Yeah. I mean, I use, I use, <laughs> I use chat GPT to talk to scammers all the time because, you know, I don't want to spend all my time typing to them. Um, nice. They're not worth but, that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's remarkable how I watch my messages going to them and what they send back to me starting to mirror each other in style. Interesting. And I say, and I say hmm, are they taking what I send them and putting it in a chat GPT to generate a response to me? Oh, probably and like composing a response to this, <laughs> you know, to this message. Yeah. Yep. 
and that makes and, the following and then it just points. becomes a battle of emojis. It just the, the number of emojis that ends up in them starts to show that you know oh yes they're saying text back to this and then it just starts throwing random emojis into it um, to make it look like a text message because that's how ChatGPT I guess was trained on text messages. Um, but yeah, it's it's they 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 are doing this already, um, and it's just a matter of time. It's 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 not being used so much to you know we've been looking for are people using generative ai to to write malware not as much as they are using it to handle the social engineering side and and convince people that they're that they're the human they want to talk to or convince them that they're more of a native speaker of whatever language they're trying to target in precisely precisely yeah. that because the one thing that you you know from early on you know, there was a limited amount of English speakers you can find that would move to Cambodia to, and then would work willingly uh, without, without being hit with a cattle prod, which is what they were doing to a lot of these people. That's the other piece of the stuff that's really, really disturbing. Um, and we can talk about that in a minute. Like you're being but literal about that? I'm being literal about that. There's human trafficking involved in these rings. Oh, damn. Uh -huh. So... So, so in any case, I mean, there's a limited supply, limited supply of people who are English speaking, who can be convincing as being somebody from the place they say they're from in having a very long conversation with a victim to convince them to be involved in this and they're an actual human being. Um, we've seen them using stolen images from people's social media. They've had people who were essentially paid models doing content for them. Uh, a case I did last year, uh, which and there's an article uh, I posted called Sour Grapes. We call it Sour Grapes because the woman who was the front for the operation said she owned a grape factory in Canada. Totally. Uh, um, you know, she was a, a winery. Oh, okay. Um, oh. <laughs> grape, factory. grape factory was what she called it. And so it's like, you know, that's how it, where it came from. Um, but uh, that was an actual human being who had uh, telegram video calls with me, but that person was scheduled to be spread out across multiple victims. And the rest of the time they have keyboarders who are people who are less proficient in communicating, but they're, they're basically forced labor to keep the chats going. Um, there have been documented cases, especially in Cambodia where this case happened, where people have come to a location from overseas, from Malaysia, Indonesia, Taiwan, uh, because of the promise of a big paycheck working in a telemarketing center. They arrive, their passports are taken from them, and they are told they have to make a certain amount of money before they can leave. And they are given a script and they are supervised. And if they go off script, they can be punished physically. Uh, and there have been, there's been documentation of use of, of tasers and cattle prods and stuff on people to keep them in line. You know, it's so easy to get, uh, angry at the scammers and why wouldn't you? But I think that that sort of portrays some of this in a new light as far as who we should really be mad at. Yeah, it's, it's, these are very organized operations and they have a, a, a pretty well-known structure at this point. Um, they're run by, you know, largely by Chinese organized crime. And 
They have a back office that handles all of the IT aspects of these things and the money laundering aspects of these things. And then they have front offices that are basically like franchises that are where they have these people locked down doing the stuff. And the people who operate the, the, the front offices get a cut of what goes in through the money laundering. Do you think those models will, will change a little bit, though, as, you know, so, AI? Yeah, it's yeah. super dark. And it's not, it's, and, you know, it's, it's an area I, I have been spending way too much time in, and I'm happy to be moving on to some other research topics soon. But it's not one I'm going to get away from because it just there's just no end to it, and it's getting more and more sophisticated as time goes by. Do you think the human element will change a little bit? Like, you know, not totally less horrific, but, you know, as AI continues to impact this, you know, like would would human trafficking be less of a of something that people would want to incorporate in this? I think that that's possible. I think that also um, a lot of what drove a lot of the original human trafficking aspect of it was just the economic impact of COVID. And that's going to become less and less viable for the operators of these rings as if economies recover completely mm-hmm. and they're not able to get the great rates at the, at the hotels in uh, the uh, belt and road investment zones in these countries uh, that they've been getting. And, and if the money dries up at all and they're not paying off law enforcement as effectively, the money may be better spent on AI time for them. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that they're going to be able to, you know, I think they will find ways to make their operations more efficient using AI. So there may be less of that aspect going on. I think also that some people, as they get better at this and, and we're seeing their, we're seeing their operational security practices getting better as time goes by too. Um, because I'm having a harder time geolocating some of these scams. Um, it's they're they're getting they're getting better at doing this, and they may have less demand for actual additional people as time goes by as they get better at it and use more professional people at it because of the amount of money that's involved. We're talking, you know, million dollars in three months, and you know, a million dollars is a lot of money. A million dollars in uh, in in Cambodia or Thailand is a whole lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. I just I wanted to pivot just slightly um, because I was curious. Um, you're so the person who reached out to you, Frank. You know, as I'm reading the article, he's hesitant pretty much every step of the way. And I was wondering, yes. did he did he share with you exactly exactly what the the relationship was that made him feel like he wanted to continue because he like his spidey sense is up the entire time, but he keeps moving forward. Yeah. And it's because he thought he was in a romantic relationship ah, and a budding romantic relationship. Um, the, the person on the other end and talked about, you know, him making enough money to go visit him in Germany is the person originally advertised himself as being a, a German working in the United States uh, in the same area as the victim. And then as soon as like contact started, they said, oh, I had to go to Ohio for work. Oh, I'm back in Germany now, but I want to keep maintaining this relationship. And it was all about, most of the conversation had nothing to do with the scam itself. It was all, 
interaction to build confidence that this was an actual human being and that it was somebody who was romantically linked to them. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, I've, I've talked to multiple victims at this point and there are victims I've talked to who still believe that the person they were interacting with was an actual person. And if we just went to the address where they said they were, we would find them and we'd get their money back for them. Wow. Like, do you, the victims that you've spoken with, did, uh, did they reach out to you like the same way Frank did, or did they come to you via Frank? Like by recommendation? So we've had, we've had victims come to us in a number of ways. We've had people contact us through the website, leaving comments on our reports. Uh, my colleague, Jagadish Chandrai, uh, in the UK, he put his Twitter account on the end of a couple of articles we posted. And so they direct, they connect him, connected with him through Twitter. Um, I have had, since my reports posted, I have had people reach out to me through LinkedIn several times, uh, because I have a visible, visible presence on LinkedIn. Uh, although I don't use LinkedIn that often, they can find me on LinkedIn. And um, I've had a, n- a number of people reach out to me through Twitter uh, and then followed up by phone. Um, and in all the cases, I've, the first thing I say to them is, have you talked to law enforcement yet? And make sure they're connected with law enforcement. Um, law enforcement doesn't often get to, doesn't necessarily fix things for them. Um, because some of these individuals, if individual cases are too small for federal law enforcement to go after. And once the money has been cashed out in China, there's not a whole lot anybody can do. Um, but it does help investigate the rings to the point where, you know, if there's an opportunity for a larger operation against them, uh, something might happen someday. Um, most of the people I've talked to, uh, you know, there are some women, there are some college age people who got involved. And fortunately, they lost small amounts of money. I had a victim in Poland who reached out to me, who was a college student, um, have had uh, business people, uh, successful business people who ran real estate businesses, worked in logistics, engineers, all highly educated people. Um, and the one thing they have in common is they were nice to people who contacted them, whether it be through... Uh, in one case, Airbnb, somebody was contacted through Airbnb about renting out their property. And then they were engaged by the person who asked them to talk to them on, on WhatsApp and said, hey, you know, I'd like to pay in crypto if I could. But also, I, I have a way for you to make a lot of money making crypto, investing in crypto. Um, they are approached through through dating apps, especially. I mean. Um, I did a recent test just to see how bad things are. Uh, I set up an account on a dating app just with no, with no profile. I set up a new Twitter account and I set up a new Facebook account and immediately, immediately got all sorts of requests from scammers. Wow. All the requests on Twitter were for crypto scammers, especially for Sajupan for some reason. Um, a lot of the requests on Facebook were from Nigerian romance scammers. And uh, 
the the dating app, you know, I they were they were obvious spots. So and they were probably tied to to romance scams, if not if not to if not to the Shazupan scams. So um, it's really yeah they prey on people who are looking for connection. No, but that that and they also pre- and and they also prey on people who just answer SMS messages, because how many have you gotten misaddressed SMS messages, text messages on your phone, where you got a message, hey, is this Emily? Uh, yeah, or just hey, how are you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've had a couple of those that were actually AI driven that were set up to like we we uh, Ben Gelman from AI my AI team. Uh, from the Sophos AI team uh, communicated with one by sending uh, escape prompts for AI (laughs) 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 and got it to basically admit it was GPT. Um, But uh, others are, you know, are simply just, they've somebody paid to sit in front of a phone or somebody sitting in a phone because they have a cattle prod against their back, asking them, sending out texts and responding to whatever texts come back. Yeah, I just I just got one literally yesterday that said, "Jason, when are we going sailing on the yacht?" And I'm like, wow. "Oh man, that's a life I wish I had." So the one way to immediately tell on the text messages if it's legit or not is I have a website on my home screen on my phone, freecarrierlookup.com, and I drop the phone number on the freecarrierlookup.com, and if it's uh, Bandwidth.com or Spokio or one of these other uh, voiceover IP services, you know instantly that it's a scam operation. And there is a great public service by Breaking Badness this week. (laughs) No, it's really good to know about that. I'm literally going to uh, go grab that. The more you know. (laughs) Well, wow. I I guess maybe um, before... We adjourn today. What one thing I was curious about coming out of this is, um, so per the uh, scammer in your article is you know Vivian from Germany in DC. So Vivian is saying to Frank, cryptocurrency is safer than banks. And the myth that I wanted to debunk is: is that true for our audience? <laughs> <laughs> cryptocurrency. And, and and money are both imaginary. Just one has the weight of the U.S. government behind it or a government behind it. And that is not cryptocurrency. So um, cryptocurrency is not as safe as a bank. Federally insured bank deposits are safe compared to pretty much anything else. Right. So because, you know, at least that deposit is going to be there, even if the CEO of the bank goes and spends all the money on a cryptocurrency scam. Um, Cryptocurrency is, especially because of the number of, of types of cryptocurrency that are, are are counterfeit cryptocurrency, one of the things we see a lot of is fake crypto out there, zero value crypto masquerading as, say, Tether, also known as USDT, which is supposed to be a stable coin, supposed to be uh, linked directly to the US dollar through the assets of the company. Um, we see we see counterfeit dollars essentially being manufactured uh, on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, and there's a brisk trade in them. 
because they use those in other scams to show that you're making money because they'll say, oh, you invested in this token. Here's this token. And the token has no value other than uh, to make you think that it has it is what you wanted to get and not what you got instead. Got it. So the takeaway is, you know, somebody actually just says, like Vivian from Germany in D.C., cryptocurrency safer. That's you got to get out right then. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to go. Time to go. Uh, they're basically it's in your wallet. Your wallet is protected by your password. You can get can't go anywhere. While at the same time, you're giving away access to your wallet to the scheme to allow them to make purchases on your behalf. So, no, it's not safe, especially <laughs> well, if you start linking into things. Yeah, it's like saying, well, my house is perfectly safe. Here's the key to the back door. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, is there anything before we uh, before we adjourn? Is there anything else, uh, Sean G, that you'd like to share with our audience? I think the most important thing is to talk to people you know about this stuff because, you know, like you know, like twenty years ago with the uh, Nigerian prince emails and stuff like that. There's a whole lot of people out there who don't understand the mechanics of how scams work. And who are overly trusting, and especially in this day with you know, you know people who are older who may not have as much human contact on a regular basis as they used to, or who are vulnerable in other ways. People who've had health problems who have been isolated by that. Um, they're all especially vulnerable to these types of scams. So it's really important to talk to people in your family and your friend set and beyond about this type of scam and warn them off of it as far as they can be warned off of them. For sure. Well, well, thank you so much for, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, I guess one final question for you and for Sean McNee. You are both Sean S-E-A-Ns. What, what do you both think of the S-H-A-W-Ns? And now we get to the hard hitting podcast. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to judge somebody for how their parents spelled their name. Well, I, I did meet one Sean that was S H O N. I had to scratch my head for that one. Uh, <laughs> I have a next door neighbor I mean, who's S I A N. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 a, a, a another variation. Um, I would say that you know. I live in Baltimore, so I see names spelled a whole lot of different ways, um, and I don't judge them. That's very diplomatic so. of you. I have to end on this way, though, because I can't. We we talked about you know these scams. We t- we covered some human trafficking. Um, I'm just like we can't we can't leave this way. So <laughs> so that's how we got. No, the only reason only reason I ended up being my name ended up being spelled S E A N is because well, first of all. My dad's name is John. His father's name was John. And his oh. father's name was John. So they figured they would shake things up a little bit and name me Sean. It's also John. Which is, of course, which is also John. Yes. yes. Yeah, they could have named you Ian, too. And is that? Yeah, yep, they could have. Is that but, also but, John? But it is. I yeah. did not know that. Oh, excellent. But Sean Connery happened to be very popular at the time, so... Uh, my, my mom has my mom has stated that I was explicitly named after Sean Connery. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Very cool. Well, um, again, thank you uh, so wait, much. Sean oh. McNee, was that a bonding experience for you? 
Yeah. Oh yeah, Sean's forever. Awesome. Sean's forever. <laughs> oh no, sorry. My joke was about <laughs> your mom naming you after Sean Connery. Was that a bonding that, experience yeah. between you and your mom? Bonding experience. Bonding experience. Yes, there we go. Oh, oh my oh. gosh. Yes, oh, there, no. there we go. Yes. Oh. <laughs> We it, we it we missed all all of us missed it. Oh. That that pun that pun works so at such a high level. Many of us it flew over many of our heads. I am shaken. So, I'm stirred. I'm so mad at myself. Well, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah. this this was. A I'm double o ashamed about that. Double o ashamed. <laughs> well. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Sean Gallagher, for joining us today, and Sean McNee as well. Um, Tim, always great to have you, your great co-host. Um, we, we appreciate it, uh, our listeners tuning in. I, I hope, we hope you enjoyed it. If, the, if this is um, something that's of interest to our listeners, you know, please let us know. We'd love to do more episodes like this. Uh, and Sean, we'd love to have you back maybe uh, to talk about to talk more in the future if you're if you're willing Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, maybe um, can you tell people where they can find you? Sure. So uh, you can find the stuff we post and uh, in, in Sophos at news.sophos.com uh, under threat research, and we are you know, there's I'm on a team of four folks in what we now call XOPS. We sort of bring together all of the arms of Sophos. Uh, network protection and malware protection together under one umbrella. Uh, so I work along with our AI team and with our managed threat response team and with our labs team that does uh, malware reversing and malware investigation. So um, there's a bit more stuff I work on than just this wonderful category of content, but um, you can find all of my work there and uh, I can, drop a url with to my author byline to you all if you want that i would definitely take that perfect and of course listeners can find um all three of us uh sean mcnee tim helming myself on mastodon sometimes on twitter aka x um and then of course our website which we will share in our show notes but but thank you everybody for being and here today oh go ahead sean i was gonna say and i'm everywhere as the packet rat the packet rat perfect all right. Well, again, thanks so much, everybody. This has been a great yeah, episode. Great having you on. Yeah. And we will see everybody again next week for another great episode of Breaking Badness. Stay frosty out there. Cheers. Cheers. Goodbye. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs> <laughs>